The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. CW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast proudly brought to you by the SJP World Media Network. My name is Sai, and joining me as always as we are taking our second show from the Disney MGM Studios is the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. How are you, my friend? Very humid, Sai. I seem to be sweating a lot this week because we're still Uh, at Disney. (laughs) uh, Don't. Don't talk about that, mate. You'll start Zabisco off again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are indeed looking at the Nitro from Disney MGM Studios. The second occasion the show came from that venue. Uh, this Nitro first aired on July 15th, 1996, and received a 3.4 in the TV ratings, beating Raw's 2.6. Speaking of Monday Night Raw, over on the other channel that night, we had... Ahmed Johnson defeating Bart Gunn. Uh, Mark Miro defeated T.L. Hopper with a punch, apparently. Okay. <laughs> that, that was the toilet guy, wasn't it, T.L. Hopper? Yes, it was, yeah. Oh, dear me. Uh, WWF world champion Shawn Michaels defeated Billy Gunn with the superkick and so on. And then after that match, Jim Cornette started arguing and shouting and having a go at Michaels and Ahmed Johnson. Um, it caused a bit of a fight in the parking lot where they were attacked by Cornette's group before Psycho Sid made the save. So, yeah, quite a light episode of Raw there. We only had three wrestling matches and, um, you know, one of them featured Bart Gunn. So I can see I can see why <laughs> and, and T.L. Hopper. So I can see why Nitro is beating them in the ratings, my friend. Yeah, big time. It's not a good look, is it? It's not a good look. No. No, indeed. But this episode of Nitro, I think, is quite a good look. Should we get into it? Absolutely, mate. Let's do it. The show begins with a proper replay this time of the Bash at the Beach incident, shall we say, the end of the hostile takeover match. Uh, Obviously, like last week, 
we had still images of what happened and plenty of talk but with nitro airing on the monday we had to take in consideration the on-call presentation of the pay-per-view on the tuesday they were still trying to get their secondary buys so they haven't shown us any proper footage on nitro until this night when the on-call presentations have aired um yeah we get we get more replays of this and it's probably one of the most replayed moments in professional wrestling well ever danny to present day isn't it i I put it up there with mick foley coming off the cage and so on yeah big time i mean when you think heel turn this has to be one of uh, probably the most uh effective heel turn yeah i reckon i reckon um i mean there are moments on there that really sort of stand the test of time and you see them replayed all the time And, and again foley coming off the top of the cage in 98 this heel turn um, I suppose Montreal is another one. Moments yeah. in Montreal and so on. Hogan slamming Andre might be another. Can you yeah. think of any more? Austin 316. Ah, yes, of course. Yeah, many great memories there. Um, this episode of Nitro begins with a tag contest. And we have the team of Fire and Ice. And they are taking on the Steiners. Uh, we're told early on by our commentary team of Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco that Sting, Flair savage and the giant are all not there this week they're in japan doing a little tour for wcw out there so yeah interesting we also get to the i suppose they're hinting at the nwo and hogan making their appearance this particular evening being a clever decision or a sneaky decision because all those big wcw names aren't there i thought that was brilliant um just knowing the fact that the main guys that the NWO are feuding with, well, most of them are not there. So, of course, Hulk Hogan being the bastard he is, he would, of course, he would sneak in on on the day that they're not mm. there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, Scott Norton starts the match by controlling Scott Steiner early on. Um, a lot of talk on the commentary is still all about Hogan and what happened at Bash at the Beach and so on. Um, Teddy Long comes out during this match randomly. And starts having a bit of a watch, Danny. Yeah, he does. And um, that's at the point where the announcers speculate who could join the NWO next. And I thought, Teddy Long in the NWO? No way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the outsider Teddy Long. Um, (laughs) Rick Steiner then is in the ring with Ice Train and damn near kills him with a suplex. He He drops Ice Train, sorry, pretty much on the top of his head, doesn't he? He does, yeah. Thank God he's got that thick neck because oh, that would have been it, it if he hasn't. It was not a good landing at all. Uh, we get another moment where you know people are running the ropes and Scott Norton attempts a leapfrog and Rick Steiner catches him in midair and turns into a power slam. And that always looks incredible, especially on guys the size of Scott Norton, Danny, I think. Yeah, big time. It does feel, however pretty sluggish for me mm. i think when you've got guys like the steiners the, the steiners do what the steiners do we know what we're going to get from the steiners every time they get to go into the ring fire and ice are those typical big beefy huge guys that have a a particular move set a particular style and a particular pace and i just feel that with these two teams in the ring you you see some really impressive power moves but it never really kind of accelerates at any stage. The pace stays this very uh, plodding, slow, almost sluggish pace throughout, doesn't it? 
yeah it's like they found what they're good at and they stick to it um you won't see these guys diving off of uh, the top rope or anything too much but yeah they definitely know what works yes yes uh, ice train splashes his opponent sorry his partner apologies splashes his partner scott norton by accident which leads to the steiners winning and there was also talk during this match on commentary about Ice Train and Scott Norton arguing a bit back and forth and having a few issues and, you know, maybe maybe things are unraveling a touch for that team. Uh, I, I don't really have many memories of that. Maybe this happened on Saturday night. I don't know. Oh, I'll have to go and check that out. So. <laughs> you do that, Danny. You feel free to crack on in your own time. Um. <laughs> the, the, the amazing thing of this match is probably my favourite uh, Tony Giovanni call ever. Um, I loved the fact that he was absolutely scolding Hulk Hogan at one point during this match. And then he, while he's doing that, he also plugs Mr. Nanny will be showing on the same channel the next night. <laughs> Yeah, and they also mention as well, don't they, about how Hogan is ungrateful and so on. Yeah. Uh, and they talk about taking time off to make movies, and they talk about um, how Turner has put Thunder and Paradise on right before Nitro and all this sort of stuff. And I think that's really interesting as well, because they're bringing outside interests, they're bringing outside wrestling projects into into the storyline yeah that's the whole storyline hulk hogan now is a bad guy and he's off to hollywood because hollywood's evil and so they're kind of this is playing perfectly in with this with uh, this hill character mm. yeah uh we see our first sighting of mean gene after this match and he is talking with jimmy hart kevin sullivan and big bubba and Kevin Sullivan actually has the audacity to say the line, we didn't know Hogan was going to walk in and try and take over WCW. So have you ever met the guy? <laughs> Very true. I mean, he came in and then all of a sudden you were signing Jim Duggan, the Nasty Boys, Big Bubba, you know, Brutus Ed Beefcake, uh, John Tenter. <laughs> Did you not twig, maybe? <laughs> you would think, but no, he certainly... but. In hindsight, now he sees it, so I guess that makes it all okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, come on, Kevin. Wake up, mate. Uh, the Dungeon of Doom's whole promo here, though, is is pretty much just trying to get the message across that they are very much after the four horsemen still. So, yeah, yeah I, I pity the horsemen having to associate with that, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Uh, we then get our first Glacier promo of the evening. He is still on his way to WCW. He's so, still there. He's still on his way. As you said last week, Si, he's just, just trucking along. <laughs> ambling around America somewhere, trying to find the venue. Um, yeah, it, this has been dragged out a bit now. I mean, I'm all for a slow build. I'm all for trying to build suspense and, you know, excitement and anticipation of a reveal or a debut or whatever. But this is... This has gone on a little while now, hasn't it? I believe it's close to three months, but I could be wrong. Two or three months is definitely up up in that range. But yeah, I would just wish they would put um, at least different uh, vignettes because it's the same thing, sort of that more mm. combat um, type thing where he's just like um, flexing his wrists and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it is getting to that stage where 
I, I'm not. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I know about Glacier, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but if I was watching these promos first time round, I would be beyond excited about this and kind of fed up by now. Yeah, it's pretty much my reaction. But I'm enjoying uh, your little sidebars when we talk about um, Glacier. <laughs> like, he, where is he now? And was he? How did he get to the arena? <laughs> Well, the thing is, this is in the same place as last week. So if he was trudging across and that's what's taking him so long, he'd probably get there by now. <laughs> yeah, you'd think. <laughs> probably he'd stopped off of something to eat. And I, I don't know. But there we go. Uh, Gene is then with Fire and Ice. And they have a bit of an argument. And they're pushing each other a little bit. And uh, Scott Norton talks about how he made this tag team and they can beat anyone and all this sort of stuff. And I'm thinking, mm, can you? But um, yeah, that, that's all bickering back and forth. And that's when Teddy Long arrives again, saying he doesn't want them to split up. He thinks they're a great tag team. And Scott Norton pushes him away quite physically as well. It's quite it's quite a shove, isn't it? Yeah, he takes quite the bump. Yeah, he's a bit rough of him. And Ice Train then basically says, we'll get it on and get it on in the ring or we'll tie up or however we word it. Basically saying that they're, they're going to have a match. They're going to fight. So I don't know if that's the end of this tag team, Danny, or if it's just going to be a one off thing. I hope not, because we've enjoyed um, Fire and Ice uh, since they formed and uh, began appearing on these Nitros. Yeah, I, I hope this isn't the end, because I would love to see them get um, some high-profile matches. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's again, there's a lot of tag teams in WCW on there. I mean, we, we have the Faces of Fear uh, and so on later on. We also see a team called Rough and Ready later on. Yeah. There's a lot of tag teams in WCW, so... I don't know whether they kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit and they decide to do something else with them. I mean, the, the, the coming weeks will tell anyway, won't they? Yeah. Uh, what follows this sort of mean gene double header of interviews, I guess, is our first sighting of Di Malenko since he's lost his cruiserweight title. And he is taking on a very, very young Billy Kidman. I mean, Kidman looks like 12 here, doesn't he? <laughs> he certainly does. <laughs> but the most interesting thing for me is Jimmy Hart earlier on in his chat with Mean Gene and Kevin Sullivan and so on said he would money's no object. He will try and sign any athlete in the world to get what he wants. And as Milenko is making his entrance here, Jimmy Hart runs out and is in his ear and and sort you know chewing his ear off. And I, I'm assuming trying to recruit Dean Milenko, Danny. He was, yeah, and I, I thought that was a brilliant little um, way to put that um, idea in fans' heads rather than just be the typical backstage. Um, you see Dean Blinko talking to Jimmy Hart, have Jimmy Hart looking like he's desperate to sign Dean Blinko uh, to the point where he's willing to follow him to the ring. Mm. Um, but then uh, Blinko kind of just like, his he just goes forward without his heart. But yeah, I thought that was brilliant. He literally tells him to sling his up, doesn't he? He's, he's, <laughs> yeah. like, he's like, go away, Jimmy. Come on, you're irritating. <laughs> your little squeaky voice and your bloody megaphone piss off. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> uh, the match starts and both competitors end up on the outside fighting each other quite early. Um, Tony Schiavone on commentary here says that he has made personal remarks about Hulk Hogan. I'm assuming he's referring to the whole, you know, Hogan, you can go to hell and all that sort of stuff. And now he's quite worried that Hogan's going to be at the building. <laughs> <laughs> he better go out of there at the, at the start of hour two. Yeah, you watch him jump in his uh, in his car and just scoot off straight away. Um, 
Dean Malenko works the leg for a while. We have various holds and also shin breakers and so on from Dean Malenko. Billy Kidman eventually gets a little bit of momentum when he counters a powerbomb attempt. Uh, both guys then exchange pin attempts with roll-ups and, and cradles and so on. Billy Kidman hits a top rope bulldog, but misses the shooting star um, splash, I guess, from the uh, from the top rope. Dean Malenko then hits a, a, vi- a vicious brain buster, an even more vicious powerbomb, and then gets the submission with his Texas Cloverleaf hold. And I, I enjoyed this, Danny. I thought this was very good. Yeah, this is brilliant stuff we're seeing, as usual, from Dean Malenko. I'm going through um, currently uh, a 2004 WWE Kim- where Billy Kidman put on a lot more muscle. And the fact that he could do a lot more at this point because he was younger and had less muscle it was way more entertaining to watch at this point. But yeah, it was a very good match. Interesting. What what inspired you to go back through 2004 then? Did you, did you start at the beginning of the year or was there a certain point you wanted to look at? I just ran out of uh, episodes so much. I, like, I, I do that periodically. I'll watch 2007 WWE and then uh, go back to 2004. It would just be random years. But yeah, um, Billy Kidman, uh, yeah, he was definitely more bulkier uh, in 2004 than he was mm. here. But um, And the fact that he, he barely could hit a shooting star press in 2004 <laughs> compared to this. But yeah, I, I do that from time to time. Uh, interesting okay yeah i mean 2004 i was i was i mean obviously we know the horrific circumstances that happened at the end of his life and the the, the tragedy of the people who suffered around him and how much of a piece of shit malenko uh, sorry benoit basically was in this time but you know medically caused with medical issues or whatever is irrelevant we don't need to cover that again but the wrestling fan in me was hugely invested in Chris Benoit in 2004. He was he was my guy in 2004. He well, Sean was my guy still, obviously, but I was I was all about Benoit because uh, you know Angle and all that. But those guys, so that's the type of wrestling I really enjoy. So seeing him win the Rumble and then the Championship and main event pay per views, I was I was fully invested in Benoit in 2004. Yeah, and the fact that that's a brilliant segue, side because in this match we learned that we're getting Dean Malenko versus Chris Benoit at Hog Wild. Oh yes, I'll tell you what, I didn't make a note of that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that at the pay per view. That should yeah, be good. Oh, that will be amazing. That'll be really good. Yeah, looking forward to that indeed. Definitely. Uh, after this match, we have Mean Gene again. He's a very little, he's a busy little beaver this weekend. And, well, this show, sorry. And he is with Kevin Green, who we've not seen for a little while. Uh, Green is making an appearance and saying that his training camp doesn't start until Thursday. So he's popped down because he's desperate to get his hands on Mongo. He is super, super keen to get his hands on Mongo. Desperate to find Mongo. His utmost priority is to get hold of Mongo. He really wants Mongo. He wants to fight Mongo. He's desperate to find Mongo. So I'm thinking, okay, so where were you last week <laughs> or the week before? If it was that yeah. desperate, do you know what I mean? But, you know, Kevin Green, for a football player who is not, you know, in the wrestling bubble, so to speak, for his day job, I guess, I, I think he does good enough here, Danny. He certainly does. And I think the only thing that he, the only emotion that he showed other than anger for Mongo was the sadness when um, he explained about Hulk Hogan turning on his fans. Um, yeah. He was uh, quite depressed about it, wasn't he? Yes, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. And again, it's just another example of 
how how big a deal this was. Mm. I mean, obviously these are scripted comments by a performer on the show, but you've got to remember that there were people who genuinely felt that way. Yeah. There were wrestling fans of a certain age who watched Hogan's first run in the WWF who would have come back to wrestling because, whoa, hang on, Hogan's a bad guy now? That would have been the, you know, a, a thing for them. And then there would have been fans who were a bit younger who saw Hogan's later WWF run and then his run here in WCW who would have been devastated because of what he's done. You know, It really is, on, on all levels, a huge, huge deal. Big time, mate. It's better than watching uh, T.L. Hopper on the other channel. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely. Um, up next, we see the tag team of Rough and Ready. Uh, that's Mike Enos of Beverly Brothers fame and Dirty Dick Slater was his partner, Danny, wasn't it? Yep, yeah, it was. Yes. And they're taking on Harlem Heat. I'm, I'm going to throw this one to you, Danny, and afterwards I'll explain why. Tell me your thoughts on this match. Did you enjoy it? Did you did it keep you um, keep you entertained? Did it keep your interest? I enjoyed it from a standpoint of this. To me, this was a showcase match of Harlem Heat. It was a match designed to uh, show what they can do. But I also felt that it was designed to show Sister Sherry with uh, Harlem Heat. And it was like, because um, when all three of them came out, they absolutely looked fantastic. All three, the trio of Sister Sherry and Harlem Heat just looked fantastic. So as far as the match goes, um, it, to me, this was just a showcase for the Harlem Heat. It wasn't anything. I mean, Rough and Ready are not going to be on the same level as um, Harlem Heat by any point. But um, yeah, it did what it needed to do. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um I find myself playing around on my phone <laughs> during this match. So it must have really not kept my attention at all, to be fair. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know there was a lot of power moves here. I know Mike Enos slammed Stevie Ray on the concrete. That looked quite vicious. I also noticed that Harlem Heat didn't really sell a lot. Yeah, that's, that's what I was saying. That's how I felt that this was all about Harlem Heat and mm. not about uh, Rough and Ready at all, but um, also about Sherry as well. Yeah. I mean, Sherry basically is, is a massive part of the finish. Uh, Mike Enos power slams Booker T, which is quite a you know spectacular thing to witness anyway, because Booker T is a massive guy. Yeah. Um, Sherry then distracts Dick Slater by giving him a kiss, <laughs> and then Booker T rolls him up for the win. And then they all leave together, you know, the Colonel Parker and all sorts. It, it's a bit, I don't know, it's a bit of a funny one for me. Do you, the only thing about this, um, after the match, Sherry looks more happier than I've ever seen her in, in all years of watching wrestling. She actually looked more happier than Harlem Heat, who had won the match. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I suppose Harlem Heat are trying to be all mean and moody and so on, but yeah. Mm, okay. Okay, no worries. Uh, after this, we have a Rey Mysterio promo package, and I liked this because it was it was it was showcasing one of their top guys. But I loved the whole nineties feel. It was a yeah. black and white collection of of footage. All all the footage they used was black and white, apart from a square of color over Ray when he was doing certain moves. And I thought that's just so 
fantastically 90s i loved it yeah and the music with it as well was just fantastic and yeah really good little hala package i believe this is the second one we've seen so they've used like little clips of from saturday night and mm. different matches that he's had so yeah they're definitely um he's on the rise yeah definitely definitely uh we have more from kevin green and he's still after mongo i mean it's it's not a difficult thing to do is it? it's not a big place it can't be that tricky to find the guy <laughs> it certainly can't but i did find in this interview he was much more fired up he even mm. uh, took his shirt off and got a pop from the crowd but it was it was like they did the first interview and it was like you need to show more fire more re- you want more revenge so get back out there and do it again <laughs> yes um after that we get a ladies match which is uh, it, it, it stood out to me because of how few we've had done it. Yeah, it, it did for me as well. But I think the thing that stood stood out to me was the fact that we got no entrances. No, no, they're already in the ring after Kevin Green's uh, had his little chat with Mean Gene again. And we have Medusa. Uh, obviously, it, it's a ladies match in WCW. Of course, we have Medusa because they haven't got anyone else. <laughs> so we have Medusa versus a lady called Malia Hosaka, who apparently has worked for FMW in Japan and so on. I'm not overly familiar with her work, though. No, me either. But I think they did show. Um, uh, did they show a little clip before the match? Oh, did they? I must have missed that. Oh, no, no. They uh, explained it during the match. That's how I found out who her name was, because I was thinking, who's this? But yeah, yeah, they, um, you're right. Um, Medusa being, in the only la- being mainly the, the lady wrestler of the promotion, mm. more or less. The rest are just valets and managers. Well, yeah, I mean, for, with regards to in-ring, um, Medusa's pretty much the only person they've got signed. Mm. You think about it. I mean, we find out that she is going to wrestle Bull Nakano, at the next WCW pay-per-view. But I don't think she's contracted to WCW. I know she has a couple of matches for them, but I think she works elsewhere. Um, Malia Hosaka here obviously works elsewhere. Sherry is very much out of the ring at this point in her career. Her It yeah. seems her wrestling days are very much behind her. And you kind of think to yourself, right, if you're going to create a women's division and maybe even have a women's champion, who is she going to face? Yeah, and that is such a shame because when she, uh, when Medusa came to WCW, she talked about um, facing women and things like that. And it's just we haven't felt we took so many gaps where we haven't seen her, and then she would pop up on, say, like the Clash of Champions or something, and and then we wouldn't see her again for another six weeks, six to eight weeks. So mm. yeah, I'm one, I'm one wondering if um, we if this is the last time we'll see her for a long time, I hope not. Yeah, I hope not too. I hope not too. Uh, the match starts with um, Medusa using a couple of suplexes. I mean, she's very good at this. She's got a strong net bridge as well. Hasaka then takes over relatively early. And we get, some, to me, I think as well, we get some really good heel stuff from her. Mm. The, the pulling of the hair, the chokes behind the referee's back and so on, Danny. I mean, I've never seen this lady wrestle before. No. I was pretty impressed. What did what did you think of of Hasaka first of all, and the match in general? I really enjoyed it um, because this uh, is a change from uh, everything we've seen for the last couple of weeks. So, um, I, yeah, it was a good match, good little match. The only downside to me would potentially be the finish, 
We have Medusa hitting a suplex with a bridge, which is kind of like her go-to move for for, for the, you know, the finish of matches. I don't know if that's actually her finisher because she has used other things as well, but it's, it's a move that she goes to in her arsenal quite often. And her opponent's feet are on the ropes. They're literally hooking the ropes. And the referee is there. There's no way he can he can miss it. And you know, Hasaka has to lift her own feet off the ropes for the three count to go ahead. That was a that, that was a bit ropey. And I think it's a real shame because I enjoyed the match. It's just the finish kind of let it down. That's something I feel we're going to be saying a lot in this uh, Nitro we watches. <laughs> ah, interesting. Okay. Um, after this, we, we start hour two. And we have Bobby Heenan and Eric Bischoff arriving in some rather fetching red Mickey Mouse tops, which was lovely. And... This is when we get one of those moments that, it, to me, it's 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 brilliant because you've got this new design, new new layout of where they are and so on in the MGM studios, and you've got these big WCW letters that we talked about last week. You know, glittery and lit up and you know, covered in um, mirrored material and so on. Hall and Nash are here. And they have what can basically only be described as bed sheets, I think. They have big sort of banners. And they've just graffitied the letters NWO on them and then just hang them over these incredibly expensive, very professional, good-looking signs. They just hang these shitty white sheets over them with NWO spray-painted on them and then just sit there having a drink and watching the matches. And I just think it's so cool. It is, right? But I, I will admit, I had trouble find seeing what they um, were spray painted. I didn't know it was like um, they'd put something over it. So when Eric Bischoff said they've spray painted something, I was like, that's what I wrote down because I had no idea what they had done. But you're right, it did look like veggies, didn't it? Yeah. And I love the, the contrast because... I think this is why the NWO thing it does work and the marketing was so clever and the T-shirts are still selling now because you look at what WCW was in 95 going into 96 with the Dungeon of Doom, uh, with all the cartoony characters, the bright colours, the, 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 I mean, Sting is caked in neon all the time. Macho Man is just like, Macho Man looks like a paint factory he's thrown up on him half the time. He's caked <laughs> in so many different colours. Hogan is red and yellow all over and, and all this sort of stuff. And then all the, the fireworks, the razzmatazz, the WCW signs, everything is just so slick and colourful and well-produced. And then you've got the NWO, and they're just rocking up in jeans, boots, whatever. You know, nothing spectacular at all. The colour the, the the scale is just literally black and white for them. And it's just an absolute contrast into everything else that WCW was at the time. And the yeah. same goes for these signs, because the WCW lettering for these big signs, they do look fantastic and expensive, I might add. But the NWO cover them up with just these shitty sheets. <laughs> and it's just bloody brilliant. I loved yeah. it. Yeah, and it was something that we had never seen before, because it, it was just like, we're marking our territory here with the NWO. So, yeah, we're here. Yeah, there we go. Uh, our next contest is one that I think I think if you're going to get two guys in WCW in this era and put them in the ring and you're after a solid 
believable wrestling match without it being spectacular, I don't think you can go far wrong with picking Meng and Arn Anderson, can you? No, but what I loved about this was um, it was basically Jimmy Hart had explained it earlier and Kevin Sullivan that they were coming after, the Dungeon of Doom were coming after the Four Horsemen. So when I first saw this match, I was thinking, heel versus heel, that's a bit weird. And then I realised, oh yeah, it was Jimmy Hart who said that the Four Horsemen are their targets. So Mm. yeah, and that's the biggest thing I took away from this match was um, this actually looked like a fight. Yeah, and again, I I always say on the various shows I'm I'm involved in that wrestling being believable is a big thing for me. Yeah. I can over I can overlook certain aspects if I'm still getting entertained. For example, I, I use the Young Bucks and and, and AEW as an example. I enjoy watching AEW, but it it doesn't look like a fight. It looks like guys just showing off how athletic they are, and that's fine. You know, I'm still entertained with that because I know what I'm getting when I go in. Yeah. However, I prefer my wrestling to look like a sporting contest. And anything Arn Anderson does always looks real and like a sporting contest. And pretty much the same with Meng, I think. Yeah, totally, mate. Hmm. And then um, there's a nice story as well in this match, I feel. Meng is obviously, well, as Bobby Heenan explains, Meng is a master of various martial arts. And he's a good striker. And we all know how tough the guy is anyway. Whereas Arn Anderson is more of a wrestler. So the story they're telling here is Arn needs to be able to get Meng on the floor or he needs to out-wrestle Meng. He can't stand up and go blow for blow with the guy. He can't fight him. He has to out-wrestle him. Whereas Meng obviously is trying to do the the opposite. He doesn't want to wrestle Arn Anderson because that's playing into Arn's strengths. He wants to try and have a stand-up fight with the guy. And that's how men could take the advantage. So I thought that was quite an interesting story there as well. Yeah, definitely. It's like just um, it's just telling which two styles these two have and just working together. Mm. Um, The Barbarian makes an appearance. He comes down. He stood outside for a little while. And around this time, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, we hear a Razor chant from the crowd for, for, for Scott Hall. But I think just before that, we also hear a Hogan chant from a small corner. Oh, I didn't catch the Hogan one, but I did catch the Razor chants because they were quite loud. Mm. I think there was a Hogan. I may have been mishearing. I mean, you know, how, how terrible my hearing is, is, you know, well reported and uh, well known. But yeah, I thought we were hearing a Hogan chant. I could be wrong. People who listen to the show and have watched this episode of Nitro, because I know there's many people out there who are watching along with us, can, uh, you know, Cam Griffin and Millwall Chris and, and, and various other people as well message in and say, did you hear a bit of a Hogan chant? Let us, let us know what you think. Yeah. Uh, we're getting told as well here during this match about Lex Luger. Uh, Luger is here. He's going to defend his television championship, but Luger had a concussion at bash at the beach and a, and this is a direct quote from our commentary team, a nearly, detached retina in his eye <laughs> oh wow <laughs> what a load of nonsense um <laughs> ultimately the barbarian interferes um strikes arn men gives him a pretty almighty kick and and, and defeats him so that's and the, the commentary team even say that's a massive victory for the dungeon of doom getting one over on the horseman and beating Arn anderson and i was thinking exactly the same thing that's quite a big victory for men yeah. isn't it 
It really is, mate, because I was when I saw that I was thinking, Oh, I was shocked at that result, but yeah, it made sense. Yeah. Uh I mean Gene pops up again, and this time he's with Mongo McMichael. But Kevin Green has already left. He had a flight to catch. <laughs> so yeah. They just can't get this timing right, can they? Do you know what earlier in the interview with um Kevin Green, he said that he had about two hours left before he had to catch his flight. So why has he gone already? It went less than an hour after he said that. Yeah, it. I don't know. It. <laughs> I, I understand it's it, it's good from from one aspect because that that they're showing Kevin Green, he's going to disappear again for a little bit now. Yeah, because of the nature of his training camps and the NFL, he's he's still a you know a professional footballer for quite a while. So it's good to get him on screen just to remind everybody because we were talking a little while back, Danny, weren't we, about how. Yeah he's now going to vanish and not come back for months. So is that going to affect the storyline? How are people, are people going to remember what's going on and so on? So I think having him here, even just for these couple of moments and him and Mongo missing each other mm. is, is a clever little ploy really. Yeah. When you put it like that, it's like, yeah, they, they just missed each other in kayfabe because um, they're, they're just trying to, when uh, Kevin Green comes back, then we'll get to see the match. Mm, yes. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure if we want to see it, but we will <laughs> see it. Uh, <laughs> what I was very happy to see, though, is what we got next in the ring on this episode of Nitro. We had Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero squaring off. and Oh, my goodness, did this deliver. Mate, this was a masterclass. Um, this more than made up for last week's Chris Benoit outing with Craig Pittman. <laughs> it was like this was a reward for people who had to sit through that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get you. I get you. Uh, Benoit's in control early on. Um, Eddie Guerrero, though, uses some of those very quick, snappy arm drags that we mentioned last week. And one of those he uses to counter to the outside and then dives from the top rope down onto Benoit. Um, we're then told we're going to get Eddie Guerrero versus Ric Flair at the next pay-per-view for the United States title. So that's going to be interesting because I thought they had a, a bit of a hidden gem on a previous episode of Nitro, Danny. Yeah, they certainly did. And I just love the fact that we're watching these matches and they just drop it in. This guy's going to wrestle this guy at the pay-per-view. Um, it's so good because it just makes you think, like, what are they going to announce during the next match? Um, I loved the fact that this was like, yeah, this was, uh, to me, this was 50-50 throughout the entire match. Um, and we also get told that Kevin Nash and Scott Hall have disappeared. Yeah. Yeah, and everyone's panicked. Well, especially Bobby Heenan. Uh, and again, <laughs> he Heenan is just an absolute star through this era. I know I keep saying it, and I probably sound a little bit like a stuck record, but Heenan is a star. Mm. The way he sells the genuine... He really puts across genuine fear of these guys. And the fact that they've disappeared now, and he doesn't know where they are, he's panicking. It is brilliant. Yeah, it really is, mate. And the thing I liked best about this match was each wrestler was going for the pin... Uh, quite a few pins so it showed that they tried to get the win as quick as they can yes because it's a sporting contest they're trying mm -hmm. to win the match you know yeah. it's it's not like when you see uh, I don't know I, I'm not gonna I keep digging out the young bucks I do like them I honestly do <laughs> I, I'm just using them as an example but you see them hit a couple of super kicks and they damn near kicked a guy's head off his shoulders they'll pick them back up to do something 
why are you picking him up? He's like cold. <laughs> Try and cover him. Try and win the match. You know, it's just, oh, it drives me batty. But there we go. Um, <laughs> uh, we see Chris Benoit use a, a press slam, a military press. I don't think I've ever seen him do that before. No, it's not something uh, he would have done because a lot of the times he would have wrestled um, wrestlers bigger than him. So mm. the fact that he's wrestling someone around the same height as him, yeah, that could have been part of it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, Benoit uses a camel clutch for a while as well. And again, everything Benoit does looks nasty. It looks stiff. It looks legit. Um, Eddie Guerrero counters eventually into a, a side suplex kind of effort. And I've got a note here then saying, I literally can't call who's going to win this. Yeah, it was that close, wasn't it? It was that, that competitive. I love the fact that they were trading chops too at one point in this match. Mm, yeah, I mean, I'm talking from from two standpoints, I suppose. From watching the match, I can't call who's going to win it, as, as you just said, Danny. But also from a booking standpoint, you've just announced Eddie Guerrero was going to face Ric Flair for the United States Championship. So he can't take the defeat because he needs to look strong going in to face Ric Flair. Benoit's part of the Horseman. They've already had Arn beaten that night. You can't bury the Horseman on the same episode of Nitro. So I'm thinking, who's going to win this? It, it, I, I couldn't figure it out. Mm. Most of the time when we put a show on and two guys come to the ring or a couple of tag teams come to the ring, I kind of can tell who's going to win because of the way the stories are heading and who's being booked where next week and so on. But here, I had no idea. Yeah, it certainly was a great contest. Indeed. Uh, we get a... I suppose the only way to describe it would be a lion tamer, a very high Boston Crab, almost Wars of Jericho-esque by Chris mm. Benoit. Yeah. And then one of those horrible, nasty, vicious power bombs by Benoit as well. Uh, before Benoit then climbs to the top rope, looking like he's going to go for his diving headbutt, sort of Harley Race, Dynamite Kid-esque diving headbutt, before Eddie Guerrero climbs the ropes quickly, turns it into a superplex. I loved that. I thought that was fantastic. It got a massive pop as well. Yes, indeed. Um, a head scissors by Eddie Guerrero takes them both over the top rope to the outside. And whilst they're on the outside, Dean Malenko arrives. And I was sat here genuinely stunned that Dean Malenko arrived, grabbed Chris Benoit and smashed him into a post. Benoit is counted out and, and Eddie Guerrero wins the match. So I suppose this whole thing of I don't know who's going to win, they dealt with it very well. Neither guy took the pinfall. Benoit, yeah. Benoit's got on out. He was attacked by Malenko. And Guerrero still wins the match going into the pay-per-view. So I think it's it cleverly booked in the end. But I was very surprised to see Malenko run out and do that. Yeah, I, I was too. But at the same time, I'm glad that they added some story to the Dean Malenko Chris Benoit match that will be happening at the pay-per-view. So, um, yeah, it, to me, this was a, the only finish you could use or one of the only finishes you could use without someone taking the pin. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I suppose with the pay-per-view match, it does make more sense than I, than I first thought. You're right. But <laughs> uh, we then receive our second Glacier promo of the evening because, believe it or not, he's still coming to WCW. He's still <laughs> on his way. Oh, wow. Um, at this rate, he'll be going to the WWF. yeah uh after our glacier promo we have uh big bubba and he is taking on lex luger for the television championship i do just enjoy seeing luger on my tv and uh, when it comes to wcw in the mid 90s he's got a certain level of star power and 
you know, it's when he wasn't there last week, I kind of missed the guy. Yeah, it's um, it's just familiarity, isn't it? It's like we want to see this guy. Uh, he's been involved in Nitro since well, the beginning, since me and you have covered this. He's barely missed any weeks. So you would miss him because we've been watching him all these months. Yeah, you're right. Um, the match begins with Luger working over the arm before Bubba takes control relatively early on, Danny, doesn't he? By having a, a quick smack and then planting the face of Luger eye first into the canvas. He does. And at that point, I've noticed um, Big Bubba is mainly working Lex Luger's back throughout this match, um, which is something rare because normally a wrestler just use, works the arm or the leg or, or the head or something. But yeah, I enjoyed that portion of it. This also felt like a main event match to me. Yeah, it's very strange, isn't it? And uh, Because we've been pretty critical of Big Bubba over the last few weeks. Mm. Not that the guy is, is, is a terrible wrestler or anything like that, but his matches with John Tenter have... Well, they've sucked. Let's let's call it what it is. <laughs> they've they've not been enjoyable whatsoever, and it feels old. It feels gimmicky. It feels like cartoony Dungeon of Doom bullshit when he's with Tenta and Jimmy Hart and so on. Here, though, in that fantastic setting of Disney MGM, under the the lights, but still being outdoors, and the shadows being cast from the spotlights and so on. With the star, I mean, Lugo looks a million dollars here. He looks incredible. The TV title on the line, it really does feel like a big deal. And Bubba feels like a big deal to me. Yeah. And the best thing about this, no John Tenter running out. This is true. This is true. Um, also, Danny, uh, I hope you've made a little note on your, your checklist and your, your counter because we see a limo. Yeah. I certainly did. We get the limo and out comes um, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash emerging from it. Indeed. And I, I like this as well because it had been so easy for them just to walk out the limo, walk down to the ring, cause trouble, etc., etc. But they kind of have a few minutes just sat on the end of the limo, just chilling out, just looking cool. And I think to myself, these guys are fantastic, aren't they? They really are. And it's just like... Okay, we're here. But I love the fact that they're coming out during the Lex Luger match. So it's going to show that they're targeting the man that they basically put in hospital um, not no less than two weeks ago. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it's also interesting as well because the whole Luger factor, it's almost like they're seeing him... Because they could have quite easily targeted the Steiners earlier on. They could have they could have attacked Meng and Arn Anderson, whatever. But they're looking, almost, they're looking at Luger as being... Uh, upper echelon i suppose and the way it's sold by bobby heenan tony Schiavone, eric bischoff and larry zavisco is luger is here on his own which isn't the case because you've got a whole wcw locker room of course but they're talking like because sting isn't there flair isn't there you know savage isn't there they're talking as though luger is on his own so he's he's kind of like you know in in the targets of the NWO in the crosshairs of the NWO and whereas it's a bit a bit nonsense it's a bit daft because he's not on his own he's got a whole locker room behind him it does make you kind of it does kind of add that level of peril to what's going on doesn't it it does mate and it's like yeah we're after Lex Luger because he's one of the three guys that were randomly selected to face us at the pay-per-view <laughs> and it's like we're going to take him out 
just basically what the outsiders said that they're going to do. They're going to take out the wrestlers, and they're certainly starting with Lex Luger because they know he's um, he's basically alone. Yeah, indeed. Uh, we got a brilliant line as well, a brilliant, uh, I suppose, interaction, I guess, between our commentators, Bischoff and Heenan, because the, the limo is still there and the doors are shut and the windows are tinted and they're asking who's in the limo. We obviously know it's Hogan, but they're, they're saying it's probably Hogan, but is he actually here? He didn't turn up last week and all this sort of stuff. So Bobby Heenan says, can't we get a cameraman to go up to the window and just look in and see if they see if Hogan's in there? <laughs> and Eric Bischoff is saying, yeah, good luck with finding one who will do that. Hall and Nash will destroy them. Uh, and Bobby Heenan responds, so cameramen are a dime a dozen. We can just hire some more. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant stuff. <laughs> Heenan's amazing. Um, we get back to the ring and Luger has uh, started his comeback. Uh, and he's showing great fire here on the comeback. He looks he looks fired up. He looks ready to go. And he's, he's yelling at the crowd and so on. He's hitting these clotheslines. And Luger, again, to me here, looks... He looks interested. I mean, there are times with Lex Luger when you watch him wrestle, especially later in his career, where he just looks like he's not arsed. Yeah. And, and some of his WWF run uh, as the all-American all Lex Luger guy, he looked like he wasn't bothered. Yeah, he, here though, and and other occasions in WCW in the last what well, nearly sixty episodes we've done, Luger when he when he gets fired up and he looks like he's he's invested again, he just looks like an absolute star. Great way of saying it, mate. I mean, he he's a massive part of this storyline, so he knows to be invested, and it just shows throughout this entire storyline. It does. It does. Um, Luger's comeback, like I said, is full of fire, full of passion. He's clotheslining Bubba all over the place. And they both hit a clothesline at the same time and hit the deck. And that's obviously the cue then, because both guys are dying for Hall and Nash to advance. And they come towards the ring, then get in the ring. Um, Bubba is on the deck, kind of uh, nursing his injuries. He's just taken a few flying forearms and a few clotheslines from Lex Luger. But Hall and Nash ignore him and jump Luger and give him a pasting. And then the limo opens, Danny, and here comes Hogan. And this was brilliant because this is the first time, if you ignore that um, mid-1995, late-1995 Hulk Hogan, where he was dressed in black, um, this is the first time he's coming out um, dressed all in black, uh, no logos or anything except on his um, weightlifter's belt. Mm. And the smile he gives is so evil and it's been presented because there's been so much buildup of how evil Hulk Hogan is. When he just comes out, walks slowly to the ring, you just think, oh, this man's such a bastard. What's he going to do? He's waited until all the uh, WCW main eventers are away and he's just going to come out to attack Lex Luger. This was really, really well done. It was. It was brilliant. And I think you've you've used some terminology there. You've used some descriptions there that are so apt and accurate. He comes across evil. Mm. He comes across like he's got a plan. It's almost Bond villain-esque. Yes. With the evil cackling and ha-ha-ha, look what I'm doing and all this. It's so good. We haven't got the black beard yet. So he looks... He, he looks a little bit hybrid, maybe. 
you know, you yeah. still you, you still got red and yellow Hogan facially, I suppose, <laughs> and, <laughs> and not NWO Hogan yet. But and we haven't got the NWO shirts or or the Hogan you know tights and boots that he wears in his heel no. run yet. No, but, but but there was something I just wanted to point out to you. So I, yeah, did you know they all say uh, people who wear black is is slimming. Hulk Hogan really looked slim dressed in black, didn't he? Yes, very lean. Very yeah. lean indeed, yeah. And I also think it helps as well because he stood next to, or in between, he stood in between Nash and Hall. Yeah. Now, Nash and Hall are wearing T-shirts and jeans. And, and Nash's jeans are relatively baggy. Hall's jeans are, well, quite bulky and baggy as well and tucked into what looks like a big pair of work boots. So Hogan coming down... He's, he's obviously in fantastic shape at this point in his career. He's in incredible shape, but he's wearing what looks like wrestling tights. Yeah. So you've got that kind of figure hugging fabric there as well. So he's he looks incredibly lean. He looks in fantastic condition. He's super tanned. He's dressed all in black. It's just. I don't think Hogan has ever really been cool. But. If there was a time when Hogan was cool, this would be it. Yeah, his entire WCW run, well, for the majority of it. But yeah, this, especially this, this peak NWO era, hundred percent. Luger takes a beating and is is disposed of quite quickly, and then they help Bubba up, and this kind of touches back to all four of our commentators throughout the two-hour Nitro asking who's going to be next. It won't just be three of them. Who's going to go next to the NWO? And Bubba at first sort of jumps and steps back when he sees that it's Hogan. But then they kind of half shake hands and are talking. So you're thinking, is Bubba next? Is Bubba joining the NWO? Before Hall and Nash jump in from behind him, they just waste the guy. (laughs) I thought that was great. Because... um, to me, uh, I don't. I wanted to get your um, thoughts on this. Like, what do you think about um, the announcers? Uh, they throughout the entire episode, they were asking who's going to join next, who's going to join next. I thought it was a bit overkill. But what was what was your thoughts about that, mate? I think at the moment, anything to do with Hogan, the Outsiders, the NWO in general, with regards to commentary, is overkill. Yeah, I think anything is overkill because it's literally it, it's so it, I don't want to say overexposed because what they're doing, they've got every right to do. It's the hottest thing in wrestling and, and it has, you know, it's, it's the hottest thing in wrestling for years. And it's still to this day is one of the hottest things to ever happen in the business. So I can understand why they're so keen to shove it down our throats. But I think anything to do with them on commentary is overkill. They do go a bit too far. But I suppose they they're, they're trying to promote this this groundbreaking historic angle, and this is what ultimately is going to make them a shit ton of money and the biggest wrestling company in the world for a, for a, a, a certain period. I don't think you can begrudge them with the overkill factor, really. Yeah, I, I was just wondering because we know how the NWO becomes watered down because of um, too many members joining. I just didn't think people wanted um they were questioning who was going to join until much later on yeah I, i'm quite surprised by it to be honest again a lot of this i've seen 
but not for many, many, many years. And obviously you've seen, you see the famous moments and so on. But with regards to what we're doing and watching the weekly television, watching every minute of WCW, apart from Saturday night, don't bring that up again. <laughs> watching, every, watching every minute of WCW as it happened, so to speak. We're getting the context of what, what really went on in that timeline. And I'm quite surprised with how soon they're talking about new members. I thought we had just the trio and that was it for a certain period of time. But mm. they're literally the first night after Bash at the Beach. So so the Nitro we covered last week, they're talking about who's next straight yeah. away. And here they really hammered it home and even teased Bubba as being the next guy. But I suppose it's trying to, I suppose, recapture what they had before Bash at the Beach. Yeah. Because going into the pay-per-view, we knew we had the Outsiders. We knew we had Hall and Nash. But the paranoia and the panic and the mistrust amongst everyone on TV as to who the third guy was going to be was what made it such fascinating television. Yeah. And especially back in that era when we didn't already know who it was going to be. So I suppose now you've got this kind of open-endedness of who else will join. It's almost like they're trying to recapture that lightning in the bottle they had pre-Bash at the Beach. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Okay. Um, after they've beaten the piss out of Bubba and he's, he's out of the ring, um, the bravest man in the universe, Mean Gene Oakland, climbs through the ropes to go and join them. And we get a Hulk Hogan promo again, similar to Bash at the Beach. I mean, not as groundbreaking as the one at Bash at the Beach, by all means, but still quite iconic for me because it's the first time they've been on Nitro. Hogan here is actually dressed in the black. He's not in the red and yellow. He was at Bash at the Beach. He's flanked by the Outsiders. All the rubbish and trash and rappers start flying into the ring. And he cuts a promo that is different, but still relatively similar to Bash at the Beach. He says he wished he's done, he wished he'd done this years ago. Um, he bangs on about being bigger than this company, bigger than wrestling itself. And, and even Hogan says there will be more members coming. Uh, what did you think of this, this whole package and the, the kind of end of Nitro here with Hogan running his mouth? I loved it, mate. Um, this hammered home that he was a bad guy because we haven't seen him since uh, Bash of the Beach. So um, I loved it. Uh, the thing I loved most about it was how, basically how real he got with uh, Macho Man, to, saying that the Macho Man couldn't rise to the occasion with uh, his wife. Um, it made it totally personal there. Um and yeah, it was just this, like you said, it was it was quite similar to the Bachelor Beach promo, but I found this was more, I don't want to say ruthless, but more, um, it's because of the imagery of Hulk Hogan in black mm. and, every, and the black ropes and everything like that. I just felt that this was more, I would say more dark. Yeah. Yeah, and again, he, he he references the kids again, doesn't he? Yeah. After Sting saying about uh, the kids last week, Mean Gene brings that up and so on. So yeah, it has got more. The Bash at the Beach promo, I think, is iconic because of what it what it stood for. Yeah. But it, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't you know just generic rambling. Of course not. There was a, a, a sort of a method and a point to it. But here it feels like there's more specific points all the way through the promo that Hogan is touching upon. So I think it works. I think it works really well. It does, mate. And we also learned that we're getting Hollywood Hogan versus the giant, which um, this blew my mind because about 
I want to say about five weeks ago on a nutshell, me and you covered, they announced that Hulk Hogan would announce, would uh, be making his return at WCW Hog Wild in August. And basically they never lied about that because he is actually returning to the ring in, in August at the pay-per-view. He, he hasn't wrestled a match um, in, in a long time, I don't think. And so they kind of didn't lie there. Yeah. I mean, what you need to bear in mind as well is obviously card is always subject to change, isn't it? That's mm. the, that's the wrestling thing, but Hogan's been advertised for Hogwild. Yeah. The promotional material that is used for the VHS tapes, the posters, um, the promotional pictures, all this sort of stuff back in this era, it needed to be done months in advance. So when we get to Hogwild in a couple of weeks' time on the show, you'll actually see the, well, you can Google it now, but the, the cover of, for 1996 Hogwild, the um, pay-per-view cover and so on, is Hogan in the red and yellow sat on a motorbike flexing. Oh, wow. So that. Oh. Yeah, because it is very much a case of the, this was done a, a while back. So Hogan, the giant, I mean, we were talking before the NWO all kicked off yeah. about, you know, where does Flair fit in? Um, where do other wrestlers fit in? Because we know Hogan, when he comes back, is going to be straight into the main event picture. And it's still the case. It's just interesting because Hogan's not coming back into the main event picture as a babyface challenging the Dungeon of Doom's giant. He's mm-hmm. coming back as heel Hollywood Hogan and challenging the giant. So does that mean then... In this scenario, the Dungeon of Doom's giant is the baby face, Danny? Yeah, I mean, it would have to be an automatic face turn, wouldn't it? Because the giant cut that promo uh, on last week's Nitro where he said everything will be okay as long as he has the WCW championship. It Could it be another one of um, the big show's face heel turns? Well, maybe we will find out in a couple of weeks time on the show. Uh, that's kind of, well, well, I say that's kind of it. It's not because the NWO rant about, you know, we haven't seen anyone from WCW. Why don't you come fight us if you want us out of your ring? And the show goes off the air with heels and faces from WCW all standing united. We have the Steiners, we have uh, the Barbarian, we have Meng, we have Arn Anderson, all sorts of you know good guys and bad guys out there as a united front but none of them get in the ring and that's where the show goes off the air and as frustrating as that is because i wanted to see what happened next it's brilliant because it's left me wanting to see what happens next yeah so there's your hook there's your cliffhanger for next week definitely mate i mean you'd i felt very much like you it's like Oh man, couldn't they have just got in the ring and brawled, and then uh, they cut off the cameras? But no, they they cut straight to black, didn't they? It was like we're out of time, and then that was it. It's just yeah, exactly. And I suppose in a way as well, it works with regards to the gimmick because the NWO are still new. They're only what eight days old at this point, hmm. and all we've seen them do is waste Luger and Bubba and cheat to win the match and so on. And uh, they at the moment are effectively untouchable, which is how they should be. If you see guys beating them up or even fighting with them and holding their own, it weakens them quite early on, doesn't it, I think? Oh, you're right, yeah. Just 
leave the imagination. Yes, yeah, that's a good way of putting it, yes. Right then, so that brings us to the end of that episode of Nitro for our show, Danny. The only thing left for us to do is review what we have seen overall, summarise the show overall with our woos and our oh brothers, our plus points and our negatives. Brother, 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 brothers, brother, brother. Uh, Do you want to go first or second, bud? I'll go first this week, sir. You crack on, my friend. What you got for us? So for the woo, it would 100% be Hulk Hogan's entrance as he walked out of the limo and he had that evil look on his face and the sunglasses, the black bandana. That was just brilliant, mate. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. What's yours, mate? My woo would probably be Benoit Guerrero. I thought that was very, very good, but it only just pips Hogan and the NWO and all. Well, I don't know, because I got a massive kick out of the whole NWO signs, you know. Yeah. I love that. I'll go Benoit Guerrero because it's actual wrestling and it says wrestling on the poster. Yeah. So (laughs) there we go. But the the NWO stuff was, was fantastic as well. Mm. But yeah, uh, there's a lot of good to choose from. Uh, what about your dying point, buddy? Your old brother? This was very hard, but I'm going to have to go the finish of the Rough and Ready versus um, Harlem Heat match because it was just silly, wasn't it? I mean, Sherry Martell <laughs> just not only did she kiss um, the uh, tag team partner, but she also she, she basically just snogged the life out of him, didn't she? <laughs> Yeah, he was quite disorientated afterwards. That's one, <laughs> that's one hell of a kiss. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I would say that, yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough, but that's fair enough. It was a bit nonsensical, wasn't it? Um, my old brother, my negative is something similar, I guess. It's the finish to a match, but it's the finish of the ladies' contest. Um, again, to me, when I'm watching the show, I know how wrestling works, obviously, but when I'm watching the show, I don't want to have my suspension of disbelief broken and seeing the the opponent of Medusa put her feet on the ropes and then have to take them off herself and the referee seeing it and still counting it kind of took me at the moment so yeah. that's where my my old brother goes this week my friend cool mate hit miss or middle in then bud I'm going hit this week, so si. I mean, there's some great matches in this just fantastic with Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit um, you had some great tag team matches um, and you had storyline advancement with Fiverr and Ice and wherever that's going to go. But you had the, the NWO and you had Hulk Hogan's first Nitro appearance in months. So this was a big hit for me, mate. How about you? Yeah, hit for me as well. Hit for me as well. The in-ring action was superb. Um, we got storyline progression in pretty much every segment. Mm. which is important for the for the TV show, I feel. Even down to the opener with Fire and Ice and so on. Um, we got, you know, Kidman and Malenko. Kidman, sorry, Malenko has got the whole Jimmy Hart thing going on and then fighting with Benoit. Um, Harlem Heat and Sherry and all that sort of stuff. Mongo and Kevin Green talking about what's going to happen when they square off Medusa back on the TV, you know, ladies wrestling back on WCW again. And they're talking about a match at the pay-per-view. Uh, yeah, loads of progression in all the stories underneath the main event picture. And then we get Hogan and the NWO turning up and then moving the main event picture along as well. So I think this is, it's not the greatest wrestling show I've ever seen, 
But I think for a two-hour television program, I think it's very, very, very good. Yeah. Excellent stuff, bud. Excellent stuff. So next week, we have uh, next week's Nitro to cover. So excited about that already. Isn't it funny how we're all of a sudden looking forward to seeing Hogan when a few weeks back, we were dreading the guy appearing on television. Yeah, that is weird. But I just guess his heel turn worked. I mean, it, it mm. just made him call. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash made him call again. Miracle workers, my friend. <laughs> Miracle workers. Uh, Danny, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you and all your great, awesome content online, bud? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meat podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week with the great Sai Powell, where we'll be discussing more NWR goodness. We will indeed, mate. We will indeed. I don't know what we've got left before the pay per view. Two nitros, something like that, maybe. About right, yeah. These pay per views come by quite quickly now, it feels. So there we go. Uh, you can check out anything I am involved in via the network that carries this show. That's at SJP World Media. Make sure you're chucking it a like, a follow, a subscribe, all that good stuff on all your podcast players and platforms. So then you get your little notifications and so on when new episodes drop. And that can be new episodes of this show, Nitro Nights, uh, other wrestling shows as well, like In the Corner, uh, RSH, Chain Wrestling, and all that awesome content that comes from all the brilliant hosts we have there. Or if you're interested in a bit of television, a bit of sci-fi, we've got a Doctor Who show, the Doctor Who pod with Dan Griffin. We've got... Uh, the Waiting Ring, a Quantum Leap podcast with Benny Mack coming back very, very soon. Uh, Murder in Mind, looking at the early 2000s drama series from the BBC there with myself and our good buddy Morty. Loads of stuff going on. A new show coming up soon as well with Danny and I and an old friend. But I ain't going to spill the beans just on that yet. But by the time this episode comes out, you might already know. So there we go. And uh, that's at SJP World Media there. And most importantly, of course, you can follow this show as well at Nitro underscore Nights on Facebook and Twitter. And again, Nitro Nights has its own stream and own merchandise store via the SJP World Media Network. But it also appears on the main feed, the mainstream for the network as well, along with every new show that the network produces. So if you're only interested in a bit of old school WCW, you can check it out on the Nitro Nights stream. But if you want to take, take, you know, dip your toe into everything else on the network, and I strongly recommend you do, then you can have a little look at the main network stream also. So that's at SJP World Media and at Nitro underscore Nights. Danny, I've had an absolute blast again, my friend. Me too, mate. And next week we may get out of the Disney MGM studios. I hope not. I like it, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'll speak to you next week, my friend. Take care, mate. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening.